Welcome back to another season of the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons, and this year I am joined by Kelly Ford. Kelly, are you excited today? We're talking big-time football. Brett, I'm excited to talk any football ever. We've made it through our group of five previews. Now we're into the Power Five. We're going to start here with the ACC. It's August. Like We have real, live, action, FBS college football this month. Uh, Say what you will about week zero. I'm not going to complain. It's been eight-plus months since we've had any college football. I'll take what we can get. I am very excited, Brett, and thrilled to be here with you on the Lions uh, podcast. Yeah, we're really thrilled to have you. And you mentioned it's August, and we were just talking before we hit record here that it is officially pen in the preview magazine season as camp injuries happen and guys are dismissed from teams. Uh, boy, we'll talk about Iowa State eventually, but that's a big thing going on. We're going to keep everybody as up-to-date as humanly possible on this. But just in case, in case you need to see the updated numbers, Kelly's updated numbers, he's going to update them in a couple of weeks here, go ahead and give us follows on Twitter. You can follow me at Road to CFB. You can follow Kelly at K Ford Ratings. We will be keeping you as up-to-date as possible. This, of course, is just a recording. So once something happens after we hit end, that's kind of it. But as you mentioned, we are breaking down the ACC. They are nixing divisions this year. Rest in peace to Coastal Division. Between 2013 and 2019, every team from the Coastal made the ACC championship game. Unfortunately, I think that axing the divisions is going to hurt some of these teams. But I'm interested to know because you have the championship game probabilities. How does that affect uh, the the probability of making Charlotte for teams like North Carolina and Pitt and those kind of teams? Yeah, I just want to start with the axing of the divisions. RIP Coastal is right. While I agree that getting rid of the divisions is the right move for almost every conference, if not every conference moving forward, the Coastal was, I'm not an ACC fan necessarily, the Coastal was my favorite division, I think, in college football because of the unpredictability of it. I love college football for many reasons. One of them is any given team can win on any given day um, with the right set of circumstances. The Coastal embodied that week in and week out for years, as you said, with a new team winning it. Um, They went seven for seven from 2013 to 2019. So just an absolutely incredible division. It does go away. I agree with you um, that it's probably detrimental for coastal teams, but I don't think comparing exact year over year conference championship game percentages tells a full story because one teams aren't the same this year as they were last year. Their opponents aren't the same this year and last year. You're playing a different schedule than you played last year. Um, So there's too many variables there to make really strong conclusions one way or the other. But generally speaking, yes, Coastal teams now have a slightly worse chance to make the conference championship game because the best teams, at least in recent years, have resided in the Atlantic by my numbers. And now there isn't a spot reserved specifically for the, quote, weaker Coastal Division winner. So that said, it's heavily dependent on a team's schedule. Uh, For example, if you miss Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina this year, the top three projected teams on my numbers, like Louisville does, your chances of reaching the championship game increase tremendously. So depends on your schedule, depends on any given year, but all in all, agreed, scrapping of divisions while good for the conference as a whole makes it more difficult for teams from the, the old Coastal to make it to the championship game. And I'm very excited to see you know, jumping ahead Florida State Clemson in the ACC championship game. At least that's how our numbers and assessments will probably play out. I don't really have a ton of ACC positions. I bet a lot more group of five uh, preseason than I do power five preseason just because those numbers are a lot sharper in the power five. And I think you can really, really take advantage of group of five markets. But let's dive into it anyway. 
I want to start with Florida State. Not often recently that we would start a ACC preview with a team other than Clemson, but we're going to this year. I think they're probably going to be the betting darling of the season. Every year, there's kind of that team that the betting community or the college football analytics community as a whole kind of jump on the back of. I think Florida State's probably going to be the one this year. They have the third most returning production in the country overall. That's ninth on offense, 11 on defense. Four returning starters on the offensive line, plus they add Jeremiah Byers as a fifth, which was the top offensive lineman in the portal, according to both On3 and 247 Sports. Uh, Dylan Gibbons was a first-team All-ACC selection. He is gone, but that's okay. I think Byers is going to be one of the better offensive linemen individually in the ACC, and this should be the best, if not one of the best, units overall in the ACC. Phil Steele actually ranks them third nationally. So this isn't just conference dominance. This is national dominance up front. They also returned, this was interesting, 207 career starts on the offensive line. That is the most ever since they've been tracking this stat. 207 career starts between these five guys. Extremely experienced and very talented group. Last year, they won 10 games. They finished in 10th uh, in points per drive on offense, 35, 35th excuse me, on defense. Jordan Travis, huge improvement year over year. He returns a great wide receiver duo. Six foot seven, Johnny Wilson, burner deep. As long as he can catch the ball, he's going to be very good. And then Michigan State transfer Keon Coleman, who is one of the better players on Michigan State all around, if not the best, now comes down to Tallahassee. They also bolstered the roster overall with the number six transfer class, according to 247 Sports. That includes Fentero Cypress, a corner. He was the number five get in the portal. Uh, Jaheim Bell, talented, athletic, tight end, uh, definitely a weapon in the pass catching game. And then three four-star defensive line transfers. I think that's pretty important because they already have some studs up front, including Jared Verse. Uh, they're no longer the ACC favorite over Clemson, but they were earlier in the summer and to open. What is your assessment on that? Should Florida State be the favorite? So, Brett, it's funny that I'm glad that they're no longer the favorite, I'll say, because it validates my numbers position. So when I first released my my first iteration of 2023 preseason numbers back in it was May, I think it was, um, I had Clemson as the favorite in the ACC. I had Clemson favorite in the game that they're playing against Florida State. Now, granted, it's at home for Clemson in that game in week four. But I took a little bit of flack for, for some folks for because uh, of the hype train that Florida State was on. And I will, to Florida State's credit, say at the time, they remind me a lot of NC State coming into 2022. Uh, There's a lot of hype around NC State last year. My numbers didn't necessarily buy it, um, and that proved to, to, to be sound on the numbers part of, of not buying the full hype of NC State last year. I will say, though, that that's kind of what I made the comparison of. Well, comes, or Florida State's reminded me a little bit of NC State last year. With each iteration of the numbers, and you mentioned I'm going to be doing one final one here uh, in mid-August because things continue to change. Folks are like, Kelly, what changes from when you do it in May to, what, to, to when you do it in August? Well, a lot changes based on continued transfer movement, players' availability on, on the teams that, that, they're, that they're playing for or maybe not playing for anymore for various reasons. So a lot changes. What hasn't changed is that Clemson's still my favorite. What has changed is that Florida State continues to rise with each iteration. So at one point I had them down at you know 18 or 19, I think. They're now number 10 for me. So I'm not going to draw the comparison between Florida State and NC State. Because I do think Florida State has more deserved hype coming into this year. They're bringing back the, the returning production that you talked about. So there's no doubt that this team returns among the most returning production in the country. There's an old saying that returning production is only good if the production they're returning is good. 
Well, the Seminoles finished number 11 in my year in power ratings last year. Their production was very good. Um, and I'm expecting the 2023 Knolls to be the best team in Tallahassee since perhaps the 2013 team that won the national championship. So I think it's safe to say I am on board with the hype. I uh, still have Clemson as a slight favorite, but um, I have a 78% chance for Florida State to match or exceed last year's regular season win total of nine. Of course, they got to 10 in the bowl season um, and a 49% chance to win 10 plus games. So nearly 50% chance to win 10 plus games. That's due in large part to the fact that I have Florida State favored in 10 out of 12 games, uh, projecting as an underdog only against LSU in week one by three and a half. And in week four at Clemson, as we talked about by week four. So the LSU games in Orlando this year and being in week one, um, teams that have had all summer to prepare uh, like they do coming into week one, that usually for me favors the underdog, which in this case is Florida State. So again, it's kind of a toss up game anyway, about a field goal or so. So LSU has equal amounts of time, but the longer you have to prepare, the, the better I think that is for the underdog, which for me, by my numbers, is Florida State, even though the game is in their backyard in Orlando. So I currently have Florida State at a 59% chance to make the ACC championship game. If they're able to beat Clemson in week four on the road, that jumps all the way up to 78% uh, chance to make that championship game. And it's important to note that Florida State does not have to play North Carolina. Clemson does, which I have projected as the third best team in the conference this year by my numbers. So I'm definitely buying Florida State. I need to, to see something in week one and week four. Um, but their season could be made or break, made or broken by that point um, with their two toughest games happening before they have their bye in week five. Yeah, and you, you mentioned that the, the game with LSU could be a field goal either way or, you know, a blocked extra point like we saw last year. That game was, was bananas. That was a lot of fun to watch. I'm hoping we get like a third of the excitement in this game because that'd still make it a great game. So looking at them in general, all units on both offense and defense rank inside Phil Steele's top 15 nationally. So this is a very, very talented football team. Unlike some of the other talented football teams who like to project like Texas and Texas A&M, uh, Florida State showed it last year by winning a lot of games and, uh, you know, winning their bowl game. Probably by fewer than they should have, but hey, a win's a win. They handle, like you said, LSU and Clemson, both in September, neither at home. I think that's kind of tough. They have their week five bye. Here's the rest of the way. Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Duke, all those at home. At Wake, at Pitt, Miami, North Alabama, FCS team. And then at Florida, who I think is vastly overrated in numbers. We'll talk about them in an SEC preview. I favor them by double digits in all their home games. Like you said, you have them as an underdog at LSU and at Clemson. I agree with you on both of those. Uh, and so I'd actually probably bet Florida State up to a touchdown because I think Florida is a little bit overrated in the numbers. Seems like a pretty good setup to, like I said, match or exceed last year's win total. I agree. I, th I think that the hype is is grounded in, in logic and seeing what they have. I, I think this team is, is going to be very good. But the team that they're going to be competing most against, the one that's kind of run this division or conference for a long time, Clemson. I placed both a college football playoff and national championship future on Clemson. The, you can get them at like 20 to 1. It's, you know, it, it's probably the longest number they've had in a very long time outside of some in-season numbers, I should say preseason. If you really wanted to go all in, I would not take the season specials to go unbeaten at FanDuel. FanDuel is a lot of those up there. They seem enticing, but math will say that if you want to bet that, just bet a rolling parlay. Bet the money line every game. Take that money from the last money line and put it on the next one and keep going because you can bet them at plus 430 to go unbeaten at FanDuel, but a rolling parlay by my numbers is about plus 800. So you're getting way more value if you're just betting money line each week. 
I think Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator, was a great hire. Last couple of years, without any semblance of an offensive coordinator, they still went 10-2 and 11-3. and So I think that they're going to be okay, especially if they're upgrading the offense. Uh, and, you know, these were these down Clemson teams that casted, quote-unquote, doubt right on Dabo, which, okay, if you're 10-2 and and 11-3 and and that's casting doubt, uh, you're in a pretty elite class. And they were also one point away from making the playoff last season. If they didn't lose 31-30, uh, giving up a big lead to South Carolina, they'd probably make the playoff. What do your numbers say about Clemson's probability of going undefeated or 11 wins? Yeah, I've got a 9% chance to go 12-0 and for the Tigers and a 25% chance to go 11-1. and So there's a 34% chance to win 11-plus regular season games. Uh, you mentioned you have the futures bet on them uh, for the CFP and national champions. They have the fifth best odds by, or chance by my numbers to make the CFP at 26% behind only Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, and Michigan. So um, I definitely think that the path is there. I have Clemson favored in all 12 games, including eight by double digits. Their most difficult games are both at home, which I think is big time, uh, by about four against Florida State, as I mentioned earlier, in week four, and then by about five and a half versus Notre Dame in week 10. Again, both those games at Clemson. Yeah, and they also handle uh, North Carolina at home as well. Their toughest road game is South Carolina, NC State maybe. Uh, You know, teams that are capable of competing, but with the bad blood from last season, Clemson's not sleepwalking into Columbia, South Carolina. NC State, you know, usually gives them fits. They're not going to be, you know, taking NC State very lightly, and they have turnover at quarterback. I'm personally a believer in Cade Klubnik. I I know he didn't show – a lot of greatness last year, especially in that bowl game against Tennessee, who's a very good football team. But again, he's a true freshman, high five-star. I do believe in him. He's not Trevor Lawrence. Let's, you know, tape our expectations there. But the, I think the opening season totals on him were a complete misprice. Uh, I took over 27, 25 and a half yards and over 19 and a half touchdowns. That's now at 28, 50 and a half and 25 and a half touchdowns. So uh, the touchdowns were a big misprice. I'm not super excited about betting touchdowns because they're very difficult to project because there's a lot of factors that go into it. Yardage, you can project fairly easily, but touchdowns are a little bit less. What do you think about Cade Klubnik? Are you joining the club? I am joining the Cade Klubnik club, yes. Uh, I'm on record last year, Brett, that Klubnik should have been handed the keys earlier. Um, We'll obviously never know because it only plays out one way, but I think if he's a starter from day one last year, this team – probably makes the CFP. We mentioned You mentioned they were one point away against South Carolina from doing it anyway. I think this team's probably a college football playoff caliber team last year with Klubnik uh, in the driver's seat from the beginning. So back to your, your point about what's their toughest road game. I actually look at the schedule. So Duke, Syracuse, Miami, NC State, South Carolina. Those are the five road games for Clemson this year. In each of those games right now by my numbers, I have this projected spread from 10 to 14 points in, in favor of Clemson in each of those. So there's really not much separating – all of those games, um, the most difficult, you know, South Carolina end the year revenge game. Um, it's going to be a tough place to go into, especially if that game's at night. But I'm looking, like you said, you come off a bye in week seven at Miami week eight at NC State in week nine. So um, you go consecutive weeks there on the road. Granted, they are coming off a bye. But Clemson, like I said, favored in every single game, most difficult ones at home. It's funny you said these were, quote, down years for Clemson the last couple years. And you're right. I mean, by my numbers, if we're looking at from 2015 to 2020, Clemson never finished the year power rated for me outside of the top five. Um, and then in 2021, they finished at ninth. 2022 was 10th. They come into this year at seventh. So we're still talking about an elite college football team. 
but they have maybe taken a half step back from from the very, very upper echelon of the Georgias, Alabamas, Ohio States, um, which they were very much a part of that conversation from 2010 to 2020. So it'll be interesting to see if this is the year that they can get back into that conversation. Again, my numbers like them out of the ACC, so we'll know a lot um, after that week four game at home against Florida State. Yeah, I think two of the factors that they had when they were actually at that top, 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 you know, preseason favorites, an NFL starting caliber quarterback because they had Deshaun Watson, they had uh, Taj Boyd before that, they had Trevor Lawrence, of course. Uh, I don't think DJU is necessarily a starting quarterback in the NFL. Spoiler alert. Uh, I'm a little bit on his side, though, at Oregon State. We'll get to that. But they also had really good wide receiver play, and they, they don't have that wide receiver caliber. They haven't for a while. They don't have a Mike Williams, right? They don't have a Justin Ross. They don't have guys like that. But they lost a lot up front, a couple of high NFL draft picks, but I'm actually okay with what they bring back. Xavier Thomas, very good player, just hurt all the time. We need to see him play a full season. I think he's going to be excellent. Tyler Davis, potentially All-American candidate. I still think they have the best defensive front in the ACC, so I don't think that that's going to be a bother. I don't think their defense is going to take a huge step back. Uh, you know, Dabo's number one thing is we're going to have a good defensive line and good linebackers. We're going to beat you up up front. That's how we're going to beat you. And if we have the good quarterback play, then we're going to be an elite team. I do happen to believe that Cade Klubnick can be that good NFL starting caliber quarterback. That's why he has a five-star rating. That's what it means. That means he is a projected first-round NFL draft pick when he comes out of college. Those assessments can be wrong, but I happen to think that he'll be all right. Do you see any teams outside of these top two that have a chance at making the ACC championship game? Is there any worth mentioning, uh, or are we kind of falling outside of the championship game territory after these two? Yeah, but I think it's Clemson. I have 64% chance to make the champ game. Florida State, 59, and then everyone else. UNC's third on the list, uh, but only a 22% chance. Yeah, well, let's talk about North Carolina. They're interesting. They're fascinating. I want to start with what they lose because we can talk about a lot of what they bring back, specifically one player. Uh, they lost 1,800 combined receiving yards, which is 42% of all that receiving production in just Josh Downs and Antoine Green alone. They're both gone, but they do bring in Ken Stace, Devontae Walker, who's a deep threat, very good player. Uh, and then they also lost their entire secondary, which when you look at the North Carolina defense or their option to not field a defense last year, you might say, well, that's not really a big deal. But two of these corners were actually all ACC selections. That Like this was the centerpiece of their uh, defense, aside from Cedric uh, Gray, who I think is pretty good and he comes back as well. But, you know, they lose these two guys. And that's a lot of experience and honestly, some talent out there. Phil Longo also leaves the offensive coordinator. He's to Wisconsin. They hired Chip Lindsey. Fine, I suppose. I don't love it, but it's okay. Uh, they could have done worse, I think, uh, especially with who they're hiring on defense with Gene Chizik. Holy smokes. Uh, I don't know how he still is employed after last year. Their offense, uh, their offensive line, pardon me, ranked number four in the ACC in the preseason. But this unit fell apart at the end of last year. If you go back and look at the tape from Georgia Tech and NC State, these tackles are getting whipped. Now, I'll tell you what, their quarterback did not play very well. He actually played very poorly when, well, I'm, you know, he had a second and a half throw the ball before he's getting hit. The offense came off the tracks along with that offensive line. So I do worry about that. They did make a new hire. Uh, they brought an offensive line coach from North Texas who's very highly regarded in everything that I've read about him. So it should hopefully stay together. But again, this team fell apart down the backstretch last year. And if that offensive line does not do its job, this team could be in for some trouble. Your offensive line concerns are valid. I hear you on it. I don't disagree, but I go back to Drake May. Having him at quarterback leading what I'm projecting to be a top 15 offensive unit means the Tar Heels should have a chance in every game this season. 
the defense, you said they decided not to field one last year. You're not too far off. Um, it's certainly a concern. Coming into this year, I'm projecting them to be the second worst defensive unit in the ACC, better better than Wake Forest uh, only. So it's a mid-60s, mid excuse me, national rank on the defense. I still think this offense with Drake May is going to give them a chance. Um, and so to me, that's the storyline. If he's healthy, they're in the mix. If he's not, it could get off the rails quickly. Yeah, I do like Drake May a lot. He'd be silly not to. He's the second best quarterback, I think, in the nation. Uh, he's been starting to get kind of the first best or the most NFL ready, that draft 101, right, Buzz? Uh, the more talented quarterback than Caleb Williams. Don't overthink it, guys. Come on. If, if somebody other than Caleb Williams gets picked first overall in the NFL draft later on, we overthought it, and uh, Caleb is going to make them pay every day for the rest of their career. No doubt. I'm with you. Barring some sort of developments uh, this season, and maybe Drake May just absolutely goes off. Caleb Williams has a huge regression. Let's not overthink it is absolutely right. And we had a little bit of that, I think, with uh, Andrew Luck and RG3, geez, a decade ago. And my Colts were picking one that year, and I was like praying, do not overthink this. It's Andrew Luck. Probably neither one of those guys had the NFL career that they would have wanted. I still, hindsight, think Andrew Luck was the play and, and the right move. So this reminds me a little bit of that. Um, I have UNC favored, Brett, in 11 out of 12 games, but I'm only projecting 8.1 wins on average due to two projected game spreads favoring North Carolina by less than a field goal and another three liking the Tar Heels by less than a touchdown. So lots of close games. Um, but the only game I'm currently projecting UNC as an underdog in is plus 12-ish at Clemson in Week 12. So again, if they only lose one conference game during the regular season, this team very well could be in the conference championship game. That's a big if, though, with so many close projected games. I'm really excited for the neutral site game against South Carolina in Week 1. I think there's a lot of hype around both of these teams, uh, maybe deservedly so, maybe not, but both teams really need it to get on track for the seasons they want to have, in my opinion, and I'm currently giving North Carolina the edge with about a 60% win expectancy in that game. Yeah, let's talk about that early season schedule. I think it's brutal. Uh, it may not be brutal if you just look at the names, but they play that South you know, South Carolina. That, that's a rivalry. It's a border rivalry. They, they have college game day coming to it, neutral cider. Uh, then they play App State, who we, we know how that went last year. Um, that was, you know, 129 points or whatever they scored combined. Uh, exciting game. But App State, again, matches up pretty well, I think, with what North Carolina does, even with their turnover. Then they play Minnesota, a big physical team, who I think is a schematic mismatch for North Carolina. I think that Minnesota can control the football. We'll talk about the game later on. But, you know, I think they can control the football and actually keep uh, North Carolina's offense in in check here, and then they travel to Pitt, who could very well do the same thing. This is not an overreaction, I don't think, and, and you could tell me, yes, it is, but they could, could start one and three. I don't know if they will, but they could, I think. I have them as a one-score favorite against South Carolina, Minnesota, and a dog at, at Pitt. I know you don't, because um, you said they were only uh, an underdog against Clemson. What do you think about is that hot takey? I don't. I don't think it's hot takey, especially after well, again, different teams this year. But what App State was able to do last year against North Carolina that was a great game, phenomenal, exciting, all of that. That's probably the one if you're looking at the schedule this year that I'm saying, yeah, they're probably going to get that one. I don't think it's a hot take at all to say that it's possible you could be one and three um, going into your week six game at Syracuse because it's a buy in week five. My numbers right now, like North Carolina by about a field goal, three and a half points against South Carolina, four and a half at home against Minnesota, and then only by about one point on the road at Pitt. I mean, that could easily, by the time that game is coming, and you said you have them as an underdog, 
North Carolina could easily be an underdog in that game. It's a 52% win expectancy. It's as toss-up as it gets. So it's probably not likely that they're going to lose all three games when you're favored in them, right? But because the projected spreads are so small, there's absolutely within the realm of possibility that they're one and three going into their bye week and then having to totally regroup um, for the, the the stretch run there weeks week six and on. So most likely they're probably, you know, three and one. You probably on average drop one of those games, South Carolina, Minnesota, Pitt. Um, but if you're telling me, Kelly, are they more likely to be four and oh or one and three? I'd probably go four and oh as the more likely outcome there, just because I do have them as slight favorites in all those games. Sure. I, I just I get spooked sometimes when I see the stars aligning or very similar situations where I've seen before. And I could see this being like Sam Howell's senior season. You know, he was the he was the one one in the draft, and North Carolina was coming off a really good season, and then they go six and seven because the the talent just wasn't around him. I don't love the coaching. The defense still stinks. They close their season at Clemson and NC State. NC State's a big rival. That's usually appointment television for me, North Carolina, NC State. That game usually ends with some sort of uh, excitement. I make them for 8.4 wins. But I want to get your thought on their most likely record. Is 7-5 and five or 6-6 six and six more likely or less likely than 9-3? and three? Yeah, I have North Carolina averaging 8.2 wins, so I'm very close with you on that. Their most likely record, single record outcome, just barely. I have a 26% chance of 8 and 4 and a 25% chance of 9 and 3. So, I mean, you're looking at a 50 plus percent chance of either 8 or 9 wins. After that, um, 18% chance of 7 and 4 and a 14% chance of 10 and 2. So, if you're asking me what's more likely, 7 and 5 or 6 and 6 versus 9 and 3, I'll go 9 and 3 just slightly. Um, I, I, I mean, 6 wins. I, I got a. 89% chance of winning seven plus. So I really don't think six is in the cards. I expect I expect more than that. If they get off to that one and three start though, that changes. Um, so yeah, to me, you know, eight, nine wins is probably what we're looking at. Uh, last year they got to nine. They were slight overachievers for me, winning about a game, game and a half more than I expected. So um, I'm projecting around the same, maybe slightly better this year than coming into last year. I'll be honest, though, Brett, my, my predictive numbers did not really like North Carolina last year. I, I, I know they got to nine wins, but they ended the year power rated for me number 45. They're coming into this year number 22. So um, even though we might not hit the nine win mark that we hit last year with this team, I do think they're going to be a better team. I think it has more to do with overachieving last year, uh, at least by my numbers. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting to hear that we pretty much have the same projected wins for them. You know, point two off. That that's a real small margin. But it's funny because in philosophy, you're looking at your most likely uh, records, and they're more uh, bullish on them. They're more, yeah, no, it's it's going to be eight and four, nine and three, uh, and better than that. Where you know, I I don't run these same probabilistic numbers as you do, and that's that's why I, I think your numbers are so valuable because you have that. Uh, grid of layoff like hey here's the most likely records but when I look at it and assess it I'm like oh okay my my eight and four that came to might be their upper echelon so maybe I'm a little bit more pessimistic about this team in general but it is interesting to see the two sides of the fence that we fall on despite our number being that fence I want to talk about the Louisville Cardinals they hired Jeff Brom new era he's a great hire went 13 and 13 in his first two years with just an awful Purdue team. I mean, this was a one, two, three perennial win team. He comes in and goes 500 in the first two years. He takes him to the, you know, wins the, the big 10 West kind of <laughs> de facto won the big 10 
West, but nobody really won that division last year. Gets blown out by Michigan in, in the championship. But he did a lot of good with the Purdue team. That was really bad for a quite long time. He brings in quarterback Jack Plummer. Uh, he brought him on to Purdue. Initially, Plummer went, transferred to Cal because they had Aiden O'Connell there. Uh, 25 total transfers here for Louisville. I think that makes him a little bit difficult to project just because how do 25 transfers uh, fit on this team? Which, by the way, was more than USC brought in last year under Lincoln Riley. We thought that that was a complete turnover. So they only have two returning offensive linemen. They lose four of their top six tacklers. And this defense was really good. They were 13th in points per drive allowed last year. This is the interesting conversation. Somebody out there had uh, favored Louisville in every game this year. Uh, a lot of people have them pretty highly in their power ratings. I think that the 12 games being favored in is, is an exaggeration. It's crazy. I, but I don't get it. What do your numbers say about the probability of Louisville winning 10 or more games? Well, first, I got to say, I didn't expect uh, in our ACC preview for my alma mater, Purdue, to be catching strays from you, Brett. Uh, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying about the track record, but, man, brutal opening there for Purdue <laughs> into the Louisville segment. Um, but, no, I mean, you're right. And Purdue fans, of course, very sad to see Jeff Brom go. He's a Louisville's native son. He, Purdue fended off Louisville once before for him. I don't think doing it twice was realistic. So um, what he did for Purdue was was great, and, and hopefully Purdue's able to move forward. I know we'll do a Big Ten segment later. Um, for Louisville, yeah, being under, or being favored in all 12 games, that's an interesting take. Who knows? I, I, I'm not there. Louisville does have the second easiest schedule of any Power 5 team behind only Boston College. So I mentioned it earlier. They avoid the top three teams in the conference, Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina. So it does set up for the cards to win more games than their talent level would suggest maybe they should, but I'm really not understanding the making them a favorite in each of the 12 games. I mean, right now, again, subject to change because I'm going to run one final update and have the official numbers in mid-August, but my numbers right now have Louisville with less than a 50% win expectancy in five games. Week five at NC State, week six versus Notre Dame, week eight at Pitt, week 12 at Miami, week 13 versus Kentucky. I mean... Just think about those teams. Forget about the locations again. Think about those teams for a second. You're gonna make Louisville a favorite against Notre Dame. Um, I, I, to me, that's the one that stands out probably the most. Um, with an expected average win total of seven point six, I have just a ten percent chance that Louisville wins ten plus games. To answer your question, so I, I'm not. It's not looking likely. There is, a, you know, it's a one in ten chance that it could happen. We see those things happen in college football one out of ten times, as the numbers suggest. Most likely records for me. A 26% chance of 8-4, and a 24% chance of 7-5, and an 18% chance of 9-3. and Again, this schedule sets up really nicely for them, but it's a 50% chance that you're going to win, you know, 7-8 games. So to say they're favored in all 12 is a stretch, um, to to say the least for me. But it is a team that's probably going to win more than the talent level suggests they should. Yeah, I just don't feel... Be, I, I don't feel great being on the other side of the fence from, honestly, the community as a whole. The Sharp community, the the analytics community. Like, if I'm the only one that doesn't see it, that's probably an issue with me and my numbers. Not an issue with the general group think of Louisville. I, I just, I don't know. I don't see it. It wins. Yes, of course. They're, they're, they're going to win a lot of games with a great schedule. Uh, one quick note, though, at Pitt, in case people were on the fence about whether or not to favor them or you know bet them when we get to that point, Pitt comes off a bye week. So that's a rest advantage. And Louisville's coming off the game against Notre Dame. So just keep that in mind. I wouldn't favor them in that situation either. Uh, I, I'm not sure they're going to be capital G good 
Uh, I think this actually makes a really interesting bowl conversation. I kind of note these teams that like, hey, they're probably going to win more games than their power rating would suggest. So when we get to bowl season, be like, yeah, they had eight wins or nine wins, but it was against the 66 strength of schedule or, or whatever. So I make them for seven wins. Uh, so a little bit under you again. I think it's difficult to pinpoint them, bringing in all these transfers, new head coach, um, new program, basically. Everything but the uniform in the stadium um, is different. So I think that's, that's kind of where I fall in it. I don't get it, and I don't like that I don't get it, especially if everybody else does. So we'll see by year's end. But I do want to talk about Pitt. Um, I'm still mad at them for beating UCLA in the Sun Bowl. They should not have done that. I had uh, 35 confidence points on UCLA to win that game, and I bet UCLA against the spread. So that was kind of sad uh, and a roller coaster of emotions at the end of that game. Now, Pat Narduzzi, we know him as being the old uh, curmudgeon head coach who does things the way that they were done in 1996, and he'll be damned if he's going to change. 128th in fourth down profit. We talked about that fourth down profit metric on another episode before from Bill Connolly. Great piece. Go look it up. Go find it. Very informational. They were 121st in a neutral situation go rate, only 30% of the time. Again, that's Pat Narduzzi saying, when in doubt, we're going to punt it. <laughs> but I kind of like Pitt this year. Where does Pitt fall in your ACC numbers? So Pitt, they're an interesting team because I have them as slightly better than Louisville. I have Pitt power rate number 36, Louisville's number 39. But what I would call significantly worse chances to make the championship game, a 13% chance for Pitt compared to 21% for Louisville due to a more difficult schedule. So for me, really, it's, it comes down to the – it highlights the schedule, the difficulty of the schedule difference between Pitt and Louisville. Um, Pitt does miss Clemson, so that's a positive. But I think overall just, just too much ground to, to, to make up against a schedule that's a little bit more difficult um, and still not an elite team. Like I said, number 36 in the power ratings. That's good. But that's not going to be that's not going to be contending for an ACC championship at least in August. Yeah, and I I always like looking at the most trustworthy uh, preview magazines and projections to seeing where other people are placing these teams. Uh, Phil Steele places Pitt third over North Carolina, which I'm like, wow, that's uh, it's pretty good. Um, I don't have his numbers, so I don't know. But some of the good for Pitt, they did add Phil Dracovic in the portal. He comes along with Frank Signetti at offensive coordinator. I don't like Frank Signetti. I don't think he's a very good modern offensive coordinator at all. I think he's going to set this offense back. Uh, that's just what he is. I think Narduzzi brought him in. I'm speculating a little bit here. I don't like doing that a lot. But I think Narduzzi brought him in because, you know, Narduzzi can call the shots and Signetti's not going to put you back. They are on the same wavelength when it comes to uh, offenses in 1996. But behind Phil Dracovic, I don't know that there's really a super talented quarterback on the roster. And that concerns me a lot. Because over the past two years, Phil Dracovic's only played in 58% of games. He's never in his career played more than 10 games in a season. In, you know, every player is injury prone until they're not, or vice versa. They're not injury prone until they are. But Phil Dracovic has certainly struggled with injuries throughout his career. You can't always count on him to play all 14 games. They also lose running back Izzy Abanacanda. 20 rushing touchdowns. That was tops in the country. Their top receiver, Jared Wayne, who was fourth in yards per route run last season, like a smidge behind Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, yards per out run, awesome stat, by the way. Really, really predictive of these receivers. The front seven should be good again, and so should the offensive line. So we're going to see maybe lack in skill position, a good defense, a good offensive line. That sets up for a good, you know, a, a pretty good team. But what say you? I think they're a very balanced team uh, with regard to offense and, and defensive unit ranks. Nationally, they're both hovering around number 40. What's inter most interesting to me is half of their games have a projected spread of a touchdown or less by my numbers right now. So there's 
a non-zero chance this team could be 7-0 and heading into a showdown with Notre Dame and South Bend in Week 9. They could also realistically be as bad as 1-6, and six, though, too. I okay. mean, there's so <laughs> many projected close games in the front half of their schedule. Yeah, you know what would help win those games? Going for it on fourth down. <laughs> that, that might swing those one-score games. Pat Narduzzi is 13-11 uh, and 11 in one-score games in the last five years. Now, when you say one-score games, we consider those almost toss-ups or closer to 50%. So if you look at it, well, okay, he's right. You know, he's a little bit above average, but like good coaches are way above average consistently. They're not 13-11. and 11. Those that take chances are way above that in one-score games, and I think that's what we need to see from Pitt. No, that's absolutely valid. Uh, I mean, that's not Scott Frost bad in one-score games, but 13-11, uh, you know, 50-50 would be, you know, just on average. You want to be better than that. Narduzzi's just barely on the right side of that one. Um, for me, it's only a 37% chance to match or exceed last year's regular season win total of eight. Um, in the game against Syracuse in Week 11, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this uh, on the record. They're playing that game in Yankee Stadium. Um, I'm really not a fan of college football games at neutral sites at all. I mean, I, I like the Red River Shootout. I like Army-Navy, and I like the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Those three, to me, in terms of regular season games, are the only ones that I really think should be at a neutral site. Uh, but I get it. It's different. Some people like it. As a diehard college football fan and, and really a traditionalist, please don't play college football games that should be on campus at a baseball stadium. Like, to me, I just I don't like that, so I couldn't talk about Pitt and not talk about my disdain for that Week 11 game and Yankee Stadium against Syracuse. Which I'm sure well, people, the people that are there are going to love it. But me as a viewer, fan, uh, not me. Well, And Pitt plays all their games at a neutral site because they share with the Steelers, which at its best, like Heinz Field, I'm not calling it Akersher, Heinz Field is actually like a really good uh, stadium to see games in. Like when they played the backyard brawl that I was at, it's awesome. What I will say about Pitt, because you make a very fair point. With Pitt, yes, they play at Heinz Field. Yes, it's an NFL stadium. I would prefer that they have their own dedicated college football stadium. But because Pitt has played there for a significant amount of time, that is where they play their home games. Like, (laughs) I get it. I I don't love it, but I would still rather see them play there. Because when I think, I mean, right or wrong or indifferent, when I think Pitt football, and I'm thinking, you know, well, Dan Marino comes to mind all that. But if I'm thinking about a Pitt home game, I'm thinking about Heinz Field. Like, they played there and had good enough games there, enough success there that I associate as a college football fan, I associate that stadium almost as much with Pitt Panthers as I do the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, the the average American probably wouldn't say that, but I like college football more than the NFL. Uh, Not to say I don't like the NFL, but to me, that is their home. That's where they should play. So, yeah, I I get that. And I actually don't even know, was this game supposed to be a Pitt home? Is it technically a Pitt home game or a Syracuse home game? I think it's probably Syracuse if they're playing it uh, in, in New York City, but... Uh, or in the Bronx, I guess, but um, I actually don't even know whose home game that's supposed to be. Nah, I'm not sure. Looks like maybe yeah. Pitt because they have four... Four other road five, games five, in the five, conference. Five yeah, you're right. Yeah, so it must it. be a Pitt home. So that's interesting that they'd agree to do that one in New York yeah. State. I mean, when Syracuse is from New York State. So right. either or way, just add that to the head scratcher. Yeah. yeah. But well, I, I want to talk about, though, going to that game is a really tough stretch for Pitt. Uh, home against Louisville at Wake, who... Uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, but then at Notre Dame, Notre Dame coming off a bye, and then versus Florida State. And then they roll into this weird neutral site game, which, like, I'm all for the pinstripe bowl. I think that's kind of fun to have a bowl game in a unique facility like that. Don't do it during the regular season, please. Uh, as fun as it is, though, to follow along uh, with the Sickos committee, that's always a great day when you have college football in, in a weird place. Um, 
I think Pitt plays the toughest schedule in the ACC, 34th overall. Uh, I only make them for 6.7 wins. But if I had to agree or disagree with the numbers, I think Pitt's probably more likely to exceed that 6.7 because, to be honest, that's what Pat Narduzzi does. Even though he's not great in one-score games, he's great at overachieving and winning a lot more games than perhaps are projected for the Panthers. Uh, Miami, Florida. What a mess last year was. Uh, I, I will say that I think Mario Cristobal may not be a very good football coach. I think he's a very good recruiter. I think he understands the, the recruits, and, and he's very good at that. He may even be a really good coordinator. I don't think he's a very good head football coach. Last year, they maybe had the worst coordinator duo in major power five. I think like 75% of the disaster that was last year for Miami was directly attributed to their terrible coordinators. They're both gone. They went two and 10 against the spread. We know they got blown out by middle Tennessee at home, gave up a 98 yard touchdown. Uh, 19 starters are back this year, which is good. They do add a ton of help on the offensive line and on defense. I liked what they did in the portal. I thought they brought in sensible pieces. They didn't bring in the number one wide receiver or a great quarterback. They brought in uh, Javion Cohen up front from Alabama, Matt Lee, who's an all ACC center. Uh, Those guys are both projected to start. But what do you think about Miami? Where's your temperature at? Well, I agree with you on the coordinator comment, but I personally think it's too soon to say that about Cristobal. Um, I'll be honest, I loved the hire when it was made after the 2021 season. I had big expectations in year one by my number. Um, I projected 8.8 regular season wins last year, and the Hurricanes only got to five. The minus 3.8 differential was dead last in all of FBS, making Miami my number one biggest underachiever in 2022. They bottomed out at number 70 in my year-end rankings, um, which is Miami's worst team in my power rating set since 1997. So it was not pretty. Um, all of that said, I still have faith in Cristobal. I think the issues in that locker room and around that program were bigger than he thought when he took the job and certainly more significant than my numbers thought going into the 2022 season. This year, I'm expecting a bounce back with Miami coming into the year at number 35. Again, they finished last year number 70. So that's a significant improvement but I'm still tempering my expectations with 7.3 expected wins, which is less than, I mean, I had 8.8 coming into last year. So I'm not setting the bar as high going into 23 as I did 22, but I certainly think this team's going to be better. The defense should be top 30, but the offense is concerning still, uh, ranking in the mid fifties for me. Um, And to make matters worse, Miami faces the ninth most difficult collection of opposing FBS defenses this year. So They're playing a very tough set or collection of opposing defenses, and their offense is the concerning unit. So that's not great. That's why it leads to the 7.3 expected wins. Um, I have a 90% chance that they're going to go bowling, which they didn't last year, and a 19% chance to win nine-plus games. So 7-5, and 8-4 and are the most likely. Um, But I think this will be a significantly improved team, maybe more in line with what we saw in 2021 in terms of overall talent. And I think we're going to – I think – Crystal Ball will get them to that next level. Just might not be until 24, maybe even 2025. Sure. The schedule's a little bit concerning to me, at least a stretch. They, uh, you know, they handle Clemson coming off a bye. Well, Clemson coming off a bye, I should say. Uh, and then they, uh, they, they return. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, they play at North Carolina. So they're, they're playing at North Carolina and then Clemson. Let me articulate this better. They play at North Carolina. Then they come back and play Clemson. Clemson's coming off a bye. I think that's a very tough thing. The stretch after that, Virginia, unserious, whatever. Uh, I could probably pencil in that for a win. At NC State, I think will 
potentially be tough, at least defensively, at Florida State. We talked about Florida State and then against Louisville. Uh, so I think that's a really tough stretch to the season. They finish at Boston College, another unserious program. Um, but again, I think that stretch can, you know, we'll see if they're going to go 8-4 and four or, you know, potentially fall into that bottom 10%. If you can't tell, I'm a little pessimistic uh, on the Hurricanes this season. My biggest selling point, I also think Miami is unserious. And I'm not saying Cristobal is unserious. I, that, that's not true. He's a very, very good uh, recruiter. He takes it very seriously. I think he does help them a lot. But just as a program, I just think they're very unserious. There's very little discipline, which, you know, he'll fix culture. He said, take a couple years for sure. He's not going to stand for that. Um, but I just think the general consensus around the university is that the brand is more important than the results. They play they play in an NFL stadium. They shouldn't. That is a team that should not. I know we talked about Pitt and having, you know, a pretty good home environment. That's something you do attribute to them. I don't believe the Hurricanes should be playing at Hard Rock Stadium. They, they just shouldn't be. It's off campus. That's bad for for a, a university and athletic department that has this kind of money. I think that they're still rolling with the you know the '80s and '90s teams. That's where they hang their hat. That's great if you have you know history and tradition. Hang on to that. That's awesome. You know, Ohio State fans still hold on to the, some of those championships that are getting kind of old too. But I just I think they're an unserious program. I see them along with Texas A&M, Nebraska for a while. Nebraska's making some changes. Uh, in Texas and et cetera, you, you know, the unserious program. So I think that's where I throw Miami. in. if I have to take a temperature check of them, looking at the team culture, the program culture, maybe it's changing, but until I see it change, I, I'm just going to continue selling Miami shares. So we'll stand on opposite sides on that one. They should be playing in the, they should be playing the orange bowl, Brett. That's where they should be. They playing. Should be. It's not, I know it's long gone. Uh, Travis, the, the U and the U part two are my two favorite 30 for thirties, man. That, that gets me going every time. So I know that's where they want to get back to. I think they will. Uh, maybe not to that extreme, but I think Chris Ball is the right guy. All right, let's talk about Duke. Uh, one of the biggest overachievers last year. I would love to get your overachieving numbers here in a minute. I think they were a total luck box. <laughs> it's, you know, plus 16 turnover margin. That's second nationally behind USC's ridiculous plus 22. Uh, 77% of teams that have a plus 14 or better turnover margin have a worse record the next year. That's according to Phil Steele's historical numbers. Uh, only 13% of them improve. So there's a chance that they improve, but a very small one. They had the fifth most fumble luck. They recovered six fumbles over expected, according to Bill Connolly. And on the other side of the football, they had minus six and a half interceptions or six and a half interceptions under expected on offense. So Riley Leonard kind of got lucky with some drops or some tips or, you know, whatever have you there with some luck. Uh, that's a net of 3.6 points per game that they gained from this turnover luck. That's fifth best nationally. And then their schedule this year is 73 spots harder than it was last year. So I like Duke. I like Mike Elko. I love Riley Leonard. It was really fun to watch him go, you know, win nine games last year. And I hope that they win more again this year, but they're, they're due for regression, right? I completely agree with everything you said. While Miami was my number one underachiever in 2022, Duke was my number two overachiever behind only TCU winning eight regular season games. That's 4.6 more than I expected in the preseason a year ago. And luck definitely played a significant part in that. Um, and as someone who, you know, likes to play around with predictive models, uh, luck is not a word that I enjoy talking about, but it's absolutely a part of college football when you're talking about 18 to 22 year olds playing with an oblong ball and, you know, a bounce here or there is the difference between going bowling and not, or making the CFP and not. So, only a 12% chance to make or to, to match last year's uh, regular season win total. So I do expect regression. Six and six is the most likely record. And there's a 59% chance to go bowling, which 
Again, I, I know last year was a great year. I hope Duke fans really enjoyed it. They should. They deserved it. A 59% chance to go bowling for Duke football. I hope they're looking at that as a good thing and not not, not thinking, oh, well, we did eight last year. We got to do better, right? Like, it's Duke football. Historically speaking, they've had some great years um, going back, you know, way back when. Um, going bowling should be the goal. 59% chance. I like it for Duke. I hope their fans are happy and excited if they get to six wins this year. And I don't, I don't wish this. I, I hope Mike Elko stays at Duke for a very long time. I love coach continuity and I love coaches that can elevate programs, but, but Mike, Mike Elko is going to, he's, he's probably going to go somewhere else. So, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I think that the defensive front is still going to be really good. They return 18 starters, uh, all 10 wide receivers that had four or more receptions. That's a pretty low bar, but they return an all top six rushers. One thing to note here, and I will bring this up when it is uh, relevant, is they have a very good special teams unit. So they're not going to be dropping games because of a botched punt or a blocked field goal or a missed field goal, etc. So I'm actually less inclined to consider one-score game as losses when I look at a well-coached team that's good special teams. That is a big swing, a big edge in the one-score department. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't see them improving or even repeating last year. I make them for six wins. I like Duke. I Duke, want to see them do well. Duke, the special teams comment, it's a good comment, and I agree with you. I don't talk much about it. I talk offense, defense, because for most teams, special teams does not add or subtract too much from your overall projections and your likelihood to win games in any given week. Duke, along with you know South Carolina and Iowa, are maybe some teams, some programs who have proved year in and year out to have more successes than failures on special teams. And you could almost make the case that, hey, maybe their special teams units should be valued more significantly than some others when you're looking at projections and trying to, to figure out how many games the team going to win in a given year. So I agree with you 100%. I'm usually not one to talk about special teams because for the most part, not that they don't matter, but it is the, the least significant of the three phases, way less plays. Um, but for some programs, they seem to have figured it out and year in and year out over are better than average in that department. And, and that could be something uh, meaningful moving forward. Yeah. When I, when I handle special teams, I look at the top quartile and the bottom quartile. If you're really bad in special teams or really good, I will take it into account and say, Hey, you know, that's something worth mentioning, but I'm not looking at a, a three point spread and saying, well, this team's 59th in special teams while this team is 64th. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I coach football. So I, I get the importance and harp the importance of special teams, but yeah, when it comes to point spreads and markets and stuff, it's the, the upper echelon and the bottom echelon. And that's really all about you need in there. So I wanted to close on a rapid fire session. We're getting long here on our ACC preview. I want to do a buy sell. Let me just explain it really quick. I'm going to let you decide what buying and selling is. Stock up, stock down. What, are they going to have a successful season compared to expectations perhaps, right? Like if we're talking Virginia, it's not well, are we buying them to go to Charlotte? No, no, no. Maybe even buying them to go to a bowl game? No, probably not. But just like, are they headed in the right direction? It's going to be quick. We'll do either one word or a quick sentence on it. Where are you stand on Syracuse? Buying or selling? Selling, very, very slightly. 46 last year and the year coming in this year, number 47, slightly worse K Ford rating. So neutral, but if I have to buy or sell, sell. I'm also selling. I don't like uh, Dino Babers on the recruiting trail. I think that program is headed in the wrong direction. NC State. Similar, very similar Syracuse. I'm going to sell. 38th last year, 40th this year. By the slightest of margins, I'm selling. 
I'm all aboard the Devin Leary train, and he's gone. So I, I, I think I have to sell as well. Wake Forest. This is going to be a bigger sell for me. Of course, Sam Hartman now gone 31 and the year last year coming in this year, 48. So uh, selling here again, I'm not, I swear I won't sell everyone, but selling this one <laughs> and probably more so than either of the previous two. You know what? I'm actually going to be positive. I'm going to buy uh, according to where the general temperature on this team is. I think Mitch Griffiths is actually really good. I watched him in the spring game. I think he's a solid quarterback and the system is still in place. I think they may uh, surprise a little bit. Boston College. I'm going to buy this one. Uh, last year it ended at 100th. This year coming in at 78th. Easiest schedule in all of Power 5. Uh, got a 50% chance to go bowling. Coming off of a three-win year, three win year, I'm going to buy Boston College. I will also buy. Uh, again, down to the quarterback if I'm making a, a straw man argument. They get Chris Mahogany back, which is huge. Missed last year with the torn ACL. Emmett Moorhead. Know that name. He's a pretty good quarterback. Uh, Virginia. This is a tough one. It is a tough one. There's a lot going on uh, to end the year there around the program, off the field. Um, they ended the year number 82 for me, coming into this year 86. By my rule, I'm going to sell that one uh, just barely. Uh, will they improve on last year's win total? Yes, I think so. Um, but they're playing a full slate of 12, hopefully this year. So uh, I'm, I'm still going to sell it because it's a slightly worse team than last year, by my numbers. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate to say I, I don't ever want to take the off the field issues and and you know wipe them away or anything. I'm selling. I think they're probably one of the worst teams in the in the Power Five. Uh, Virginia Tech buying this team was really bad last year. End of the year number ninety two, coming in this year number sixty seven. Thirty seven percent chance to go bowling, so still not likely, but um, a ninety five percent chance to match or exceed last year's regular season win total of three. So buying this one. It's a buy for me too. Allen Jennings, uh, one of the top receivers in yards per route run. Just watch him if you play fantasy football in college. Maybe someone to look for. Uh, and finally, Georgia Tech. Sounds weird. I'm going to buy it. Um, I think they're going to be a better team this year than last. They might not win as many games, um, but I think that they'll be an improved team from a talent standpoint and expect that they can trend in the right direction. So sounds weird, but I might buy this one. Uh, I'm on the fence, but I think I might buy. I think you made a pretty good argument for that. I just want to get everyone in here and just make sure we, we mention all 14 teams in the ACC uh, and uh, yeah, make, making sure that we give everyone a little bit of love here. But that's an ACC preview, an hour long. How about that? Pretty good. Uh, diving deep into these teams here. Hop on over to our Discord where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans, get live updates in the college football server, and join a sharp and active community. It is getting ever more active now that we are into August. Don't forget to subscribe to Lines YouTube for daily sports betting strategy videos and comment your thoughts on the ACC. We gave out a lot of opinions on here. Surely you agree or disagree. Kelly, before we get out of here, please plug where everyone can find your work. Yeah, for sure. You can find me on Twitter or on X at KFord Ratings. Uh, you can find me on the website, kfordratings.com. Excited to be a part of the team here at the Lions. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Thank you, everyone, as always, for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That is Kelly Ford, and we'll see you all next time.